When a reader comes to your site, do you want to make the most out of that visit? Of course you do. Parsley's clients solve this puzzle by using their analytics to power smarter content personalization. Parsley allows you to stay nimble so you can adapt to what your readers care about, even as their needs change over time. The smartest media companies like Bloomberg, The New Yorker, and Apartment Therapy are all using this service. Get more info about it now at parse.ly personalization. The heyday of digital media companies funded by venture capitalists might be coming to an end. Now it is time for serious businesses to weather the changes. Jim Lanzone, president and CEO of CBS Interactive, says it's high time this happens. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On this week's episode, I speak with Jim about the big opportunity that CBS sees in OTT, how advertising still works great in many ways, um, but still CBS is working to reduce their reliance on the ad model. We also get Jim's resolutions for 2019. Hope you enjoy it. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Okay, so what is right now OTT? Are you looking at it as a big threat or a big opportunity? Well, definitely big opportunity, especially if you're me running the digital group at CBS. So, um, you know, if you kind of go back to when I started here, it was about seven and a half years ago, you know, you would have no idea how big OTT would have gotten and how fast. So I don't know how, how you think about defining it. For me, OTT is uh, specifically like Roku, Apple TV, you know, yes. the streaming devices. That is now... 75% of our streams are coming through those devices. Not 75% of people, but total streams. Mm-hmm. So the people who watch through those devices watch a lot of content. Uh, and uh, and so for us, you know, we do think it's a big opportunity. It's also a big one from an advertising point of view because you can be very, you know, addressable uh, with the ads, um, especially with our subscribers. It's very one-to-one. So, uh, so we definitely think it's an opportunity. But, but it's not about protecting the TV. I mean, the TV is the core the business well i think if you're thinking 2018 forward yep you start to think about the traditional tv as part of a multi-platform strategy and it's by far the biggest right and it's 100 million households and we're the number one broadcast channel and then you have things like showtime you know also on tv um but i think everything through the entire stack of what we're doing needs to now forward consider everything from mobile all the way through to the actual television. Mm -hmm. And then an OTT device is like, you know, somewhere in between on that. So how has that changed in seven and a half years since you came? Because, I mean, you came from more of a pure play internet background. Yeah. Coming into Silicon Valley. Coming into a big traditional media company, quote unquote. Right. Um, Well, look, it's a... The, the first big way is just that when I started, we were still very much a desktop business. So a PC business, right? 6% of our traffic in 2011 was mobile. It's now over 60%, like for CBS Interactive overall. Um, and so everything that you would think of as multi-platform, all the additional devices have really come since. Um, I mean, even the explosion of video, I mean, it happened starting with YouTube, right? But 2011, you barely had Hulu Plus out the door. Netflix was still mostly DVDs and just getting into truly streaming. They hadn't really done their own content yet. So it's still really early when you think about video. Programmatic was just getting started. No, mm-hmm. my programmatic budget was $0 in, in 2011. That was a group that we started. 
Um, so those things have changed. The things that have not changed have been for my group that we are a premium content company, staying focused on that. Um, and that's our, our strength and our moat and, and what we've really mm. tried to build behind and kind of stay away from everything else. So everyone comes on here and talks about premium content and I yeah. get, I get a lot of shit for not pushing back on them. Cause what, yeah, what does it do mean? It. Let's go at it. What does it mean? Why, why, what does premium content mean for you? Because everyone says they have premium content. Yeah, they kind of have to. I, I would say. Oh, that's <laughs> Yeah, I, to me, there's three broad categories of content strategically online, like as an operator, how I think about it. Okay. Not if I was writing some blog post for you and trying to sound, you know, eloquent about it. Um, <laughs> we can make there's no catchphrases in this, but strategically, how my team has thought about it, and it's absolutely guided what we've invested in internally, what we've thought about investing or, or acquiring externally, and what we've stayed away from externally. Um, there's three buckets. So one is, you know, you come up with some name for it, but in my mind, it's truly super premium. It's the, it's the Big Bang Theory. It's the Super Bowl. It's 60 Minutes. You know, something like New York Times, like something where the brand exceeds. Game of uh, Thrones. Yeah, Game of Premium. Thrones, Billions, right? The, these are like, it's in, yes, on the Star Trek. On the one hand, they're super expensive to produce. So that's one thing. Um, and, uh, and, and clearly audiences are so willing to try to get to that content that they will pay for it. Like that's another great way to understand that. Um, but that's that's one bucket. Uh, and, and that's more again on on um, on entertainment content, news content. The second bucket, I would say um, there aren't that many of these, um, but would be if you own the pinch point uh, where a, tr a lucrative transaction is about to take place. So CNET is the best example maybe in internet history of this where you know, someone reading a review on our review page is the last step before they're about to buy mm -hmm. a very expensive device um, or, you know, um, uh, appliance for their home. And so advertisers will pay a lot to intercept that user at that moment of truth right before that's about to happen. Um, to me, the third category is it's just content. And there's a lot of it out there. There's so much good content. Um, there's been an explosion of it the past 10 years. You so know. it can be good content, but it's not it premium. It can be good. But the way that you can tell is there's two things, right? Is it a must-buy for advertisers where they will pay high CPM to be there? Or will users pay for it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we we try and stay in those first two buckets. So if you think about my portfolio... Well, that's the middle, um, right? I mean, the, the, not not your bucket, but the, what you're talking about is the middle. But if, you, if you're a big company that traditionally was in internet content and you were an advertising-based business, the way that you knew that you were in category three is if the programmatic monsters started to eat your business <laughs> alive, <laughs> okay. right? And, uh, and you probably would have had to adjust your, uh, you know, your organization around that, how many people you can have, how much you can pay to create that content. Otherwise, you'll be underwater really quick because what would have been double-digit and higher CPM you know, ads are now single digit and, uh, and you're just, you're in the mm -hmm. bulk, you know, you're in the volume game. So if anyone, and, I, and there are people who have been in this space yeah. who have doubled and tripled down on volume at the expense of premium, we've tried to, to, to stay focused. So if anyone comes on here and complains about programmatic hurting their business, that's probably because they don't really have premium content or they don't have a model that makes it work properly, meaning, and by the way, they, they could have adjusted their business for programmatic and just been staffed low and, and you know, been profitable that way or not been trying to be profitable. Um, 
but you know for us it's a, it's it's a growing business it's something that's that's now i think relatively large compared to most companies but still a smaller percentage of what we do revenue wise um and uh and yeah so i think mm-hmm. if if that's where people have gone then it, they might be in yeah. trouble so let's talk about the top tier of of premium and getting people to pay you directly for content because if people are willing to pay you for the content then i think that sort of gives you an official premium stamp on it um right how this is obviously important to the strategy right and i would say and and for yours because freemium you know require so I insert the digiday plus it's true though uh, because we, and we have these same businesses right so we're funneling sports content down to someone who's going to pay a lot to play fantasy or or sign up for our um for sports line which is our data and information business that's a hundred dollars per year like uh, so there is funnel management of those people through from a broader range of content that might be monetized differently. So there's room for it in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. But the the premium part uh, that they're willing to pay for, you know, will pay the bills. By the way, then then there's the premium advertising side, which, you know, for us is long form video uh, where we have, uh, you know, a, ver- uh, a very large advertising business on the video side that's premium CPMs and and for something advertisers want to pay a lot for. Mm-hmm. But how many people are paying you directly for content at this point? You mean direct to consumer yeah. business? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean it's it's millions. So, um, you know we've uh, you know I think announced that we're and, and announcements will happen in the near future for the exact subscriber number. But let's say around six million between Showtime and CBS for. Um, our OTT products for CBS All Access and Showtime over the mm-hmm. top. Um, and then we have all these other ones. It's it, In our portfolio, it's from, uh, you know, fantasy sports. Again, I mentioned our sports line, which is now our, our um, truly a, a professional gambler's, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> it's publication. A, it's your degenerate yeah, gambler down play. To like, no, but like <laughs> white papers at ZDNet in the B2B space, you know, for CIOs. And that's that's yeah. another part of it. And so across all the portfolio, I mean, it's 24-7 sports and, and scout media. You know, people are paying a subscription for, you know, UCLA sports, you know, uh, insider information. So, uh, and on the other hand, we've, we've strongly been building behind premium video and AVOD and just advertising, you know, live streaming businesses as well. So mm-hmm. CBSN on the news side, which we were the very first to launch a 24-7 streaming news product. Um, so that was four years ago now. Um, I think in the news, I think some others are, are starting to follow. CBS Sports HQ, which just launched in Q1 this year, which is our 24-7 streaming sports uh, service, you know, with news highlights and information. And so those are growing uh, very, very fast. And you know, as those grow, that provides more premium video uh, advertising, you know, inventory for mm-hmm. us. We'll be back after this quick break. Start making the most out of your site visits. Even though media companies like Condé Nast, Slate, and The Penny Hoarder might not have all the same goals when it comes to their audience size or interests, they are all using the same technology, and that is Parsley to adapt to their readers' needs. With Parsley, you have a proven recommendation engine to use that allows you to fine-tune what content you show based on your specific business needs. That means you can start showing your readers the stories and information they'll be most interested in and keep them reading. The power behind this recommendation engine comes from Parsley Analytics. Parsley believes in a world that values attention. Find out more at parse.ly slash personalization. So explain the, the strategy behind CBS All Access. Well, it's so the origin story 
uh, for CBS All Access. Really, you know, you talked about me coming from Silicon Valley, and and you know, I have a product background. Background. It came from recognizing that in the portfolio of, of tens of millions of people watching CBS content online, we were starting to see that there were what we were calling super fans internally. Again, you need a better name for it mm-hmm. uh, officially. But uh, who would be willing to pay uh, to get access to more content from us? Because historically, it was the last five episodes of every show were streaming free online. Um, but we had these partnerships. So, for example, we had, there was a partnership with Real Networks, and it, it predated me. Wow. Where in the six figures of people were paying $5 a month during the Big Brother season for the four months it was on the air to get a 24-7 stream of the household and Big Brother because mm-hmm. they were just obsessives you know, about that. We had people paying a monthly subscription fee for a 60 Minutes app. So we knew that there were these, these people out there. And CBS, I think, maybe more than most you know, media companies uh, or at least broadcast networks, really has a strong, you know, user base of people who identify with that brand. It's not just about the show. Like, they really love CBS programming. And so we started to put the, you know, the foundations of this product together. Like, what what would it take to get uh, millions of people to want to pay a, a subscription fee, you know, at the freemium, you know, at the at layer? This wasn't for every user of our site. It would be for the, the super fan. And so it became uh, every episode of the current season and actually all episodes of all shows in history, all the way back to I Love Lucy. We then were the first, and I think still the only, to geofence every DMA in the country to provide a live local stream of your local CBS station. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you could watch it through your phone or watch it through your laptop and get CBS that way. So whether you're a cord cutter or whether you're just on the road, that you could, you know, you could still see the Grammys, you could still see your show, you could see the Super Bowl and, and all of that. And then we knew that if, if we were successful with that, and you know we'd mapped it out pretty carefully to understand that you know that it, it would be successful at a certain point that we would then earn the right to have our own originals and that because you would start to need to add to you know the number of shows and the things that they had to watch on the on the channel mm-hmm. how do you um, see- and so that's where the the plan to start doing things like star trek came from so how do you see that changing things internally when you start focusing on getting content that people are willing to pay for because you know when you have an ad dependent model or an ad driven model you're serving two different masters i mean you got an audience but you gotta um you gotta serve your advertisers that's when that's when the commercial breaks get longer (laughs) yeah um well remember too that that one of the objectives of cbs over time has been to reduce the reliance on advertising you know from a revenue perspective and so I think it's been announced that they're now at 50% or under for the, for CBS overall in terms of reliance on advertising from a revenue perspective. My group is the same way. We've been on mm-hmm. track to that, that same uh, spot. Um, but how we think about, um, you know, the, co- the content we're creating, you're saying for... Well, yeah, no, I, mean, I just think about like when, when, you're, when you're creating content that you're getting people to pay for, you know, you are serving your audience and your audience is like first, second, and third of your priorities. When you're creating content in order to get advertisers to advertise against, um, you're you're trying to serve your advertisers and your audience, but, you know, the advertisers are the ones paying you. Yeah, I I would say we're not at the point where that's an issue, right? Because the the way we need to build original programming is on top of where we're already strong, right? So we... You know, a huge amount of the of the viewership of CBS All Access is people watching, 
you know, deep, you know, into the season of the of the current season. People wanting to watch the shows that we already have, because that's twenty to thirty plus shows a year, plus sporting events and live events. So if you think about the types of shows that we need to make for for originals on CBS All Access, it matches up clearly with with being the the premium layer of CBS. Mm-hmm. So it's more shows that that audience will consume. Star Trek was a little bit different because with that one we had a franchise and something that wasn't really uh, something felt that was um, uh, was probably right for broadcast on a number of levels from the expense level to audience. Um, but that created a new track for us in terms of the types of shows that we would do. And I'd say the fact that we're going to be doing Twilight Zone next year, a big reason is that we already have a good sci-fi audience baseline now. We have a, a track of those kinds of users. Um, but if you think about the kinds of shows that do well on CBS from types of comedies we have to criminal procedurals and um, you know uh, shows with strong female characters like Good Wife and Madam Secretary. Like these, these are the kinds of things that we're building into as we go down the path on our own originals for all access. So I would say... To date, they've these mm-hmm. things have, have not been in conflict. Has the success of Netflix changed thinking inside of companies like CBS? I mean, they did um, it all without any advertising tier. I mean, no, there is no ad-supported tier. They got everyone to pay for them. Yeah, for well, in content. a way, because we, in one way, because we launched an ad-free version of the product. So for nine ninety nine a month, you have the ad-free yeah. version of All Access, and there's been very strong uptake for that product. On the other hand, you'd you know, maybe you'd be surprised, but for you know, that four extra dollars a month, um, how many people are still excited about the advertising-based product? So in that way, it, it hasn't changed it. And you know, back to 2011 when I first got here, which is really the origins of CBS All Access, that was even before Lily Hammer came out, two years before House of Cards came out. It was, you know, I think after Hulu Plus, but, but not that long after. Mm-hmm. So everybody was seeing, you know, the online subscription um, product being something in the future. But I think we were the first ones from a broadcast point of view to actually throw down and, and go for it. Yeah. But the ad model can still work. It works better in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Because it's actually, uh, you can target, you know, users. Um, so the targeting, the data is, is, um, is something that's much more uh, robust than on broadcast. Um and, you know, our completion rates are, are 99%. I mean, people who are watching this content online are, are watching it. And so they're engaged with those ads. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, will the role of live sports continue to be as outsized as it seems to be right now for the TV business? I mean, to get everyone to tune in at the same time is really difficult now. Right. Well, especially, you know, people are binging and there's yeah there's definitely other ways they're consuming. Look, I mean, I think that's still a chapter to be written in terms of where that goes. I mean, all I can tell you is that, um, you know, our biggest live events online every year, uh, besides the Grammys, which is just unnaturally huge, um, especially from a social point of view, are sporting events. Uh, we'll be streaming our third Super Bowl, you know, since I've been here uh, in February, and that'll probably be the biggest online streaming event in history. It, it is, you know, pretty much every year. Um, so we're preparing for that. But even before that, you know, we stream, I mean, we, we see, you know, people coming in every weekend on All Access to watch NFL games, uh, to watch college football games on Saturdays. So I think it, it, it remains important. I think the entire media landscape is so is just so cluttered and there's so much going on, and especially at younger age groups, you know, their, their options are just so infinite for how they're going to spend their time through media that that's more of the challenge, I'd say, for sports than 
you know, just the fact that you'll be streaming it versus watching it on broadcast. Mm-hmm. I want to take a quick break here to tell you about Making Marketing, our podcast that features the leaders of the marketing industry who talk about the big decisions they are making in business every day. And to do so, I want to bring in Making Marketing's host, our very own Shireen Patak. Shireen, tell us a little bit about some upcoming episodes. Happy to. Um, We've got some great episodes coming up on making marketing. Um, One of the ones I'm really looking forward to is Michelle Peluso. Michelle is the chief marketing officer at IBM, and IBM is obviously going through some big changes of its own, and Michelle has been at the forefront of some of those decisions over there. So in that episode, we're going to go deep into how to make agile marketing possible, obviously the blockchain. And I finally get to ask her, the hell is going to happen with artificial intelligence and marketing and, and if it's even real. Okay. So I'm excited for that one. This sounds good. So people can go wherever they get their podcasts, search for Making Marketing, and they will find it. They'll find it. Thank you very much. Thank you. When you look at the overall digital media world, there's there's the pure plays out there, you know, the BuzzFeeds and the Voxes. Um, and then there's, you know, you guys have businesses that are digital businesses that are just as big, if not bigger, right? And bigger. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there's, there's <laughs> this thought that, that, you know, they're the, the biggest players in digital, but, but you guys actually are, are gigantic there. Um, yeah. Where do you see, um, I, you don't have to talk about the actual specific companies, but I know we, we've talked about it before. Um, a lot of these companies seem to be hitting a bit of a wall as far as their growth. Um, a lot of it was funded by VCs, and they didn't have to show profits. Um, and now, um, many of them are cutting back. Um, what do you think is leading to this hitting of the wall? I mean, do you think they're hitting the wall? Well, I can I go back to the beginning of your question in terms of some of these brands. So, one reason why they got the attention they got: first of all, they were creating great content, and they were new and premium content. It remains to be seen in terms of, you know, I'm not inside those companies to know what the, uh, you know, the advertising rates are and whether they have subscribers. I don't think a lot, you know, a lot of them do, but um, take something like CNET, right? So CNET is uh, the grand uh, daddy of of these properties, you know, having been around since 1995. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, you know, on the one hand, it's not sexy because it's not new, right? And so from a... See original pure play. Yeah, and from the point of view of people writing about it, you know what what attracts attention? It's it's things that are new, things that are interesting. They clearly can pay a lot for um, certain times for for journalists and for talent because they they have the VC money. Um, and so our you know our strategy was, I mean, we've always looked at all those things and see whether they made sense for us to invest or acquire or whatever. Um, obviously, things were were very expensive, and meanwhile. We had still by far the number one property in technology. Um, as an example, last year, Cena had its best year in its 25-year history um, from a revenue, profit, and traffic point of view. It has never um, declined in any way, only continued to grow in reputation with advertisers, um, in large part because it delivers, right? They're tracking all the way through to conversion mm-hmm. when they're working with somebody like CNET. So we never fell into the bucket of like cool, you know, a cool factor buy or they're just buying it to be there. Um, like upstart media brands have gotten, you know, at times here the past five or six years. Uh, but in, and this was the second wave of this that hit CNET, right? Because way before my time, you know, they went through it with people like TechCrunch and others that kind yeah. of come along and stolen that, that thunder a bit. 
Um, and those of us who were around in Web 1.0 kind of remembered Cena as having been that property. Meanwhile, it's growing like a rocket this entire time. And especially with uh, your average consumer, CNET tends to be the only tech brand that they know and that they can even really name. Mm-hmm. And, and in their mind, when they need to go see a review, whether it's for a phone or a TV or a refrigerator, that's where they go. Um, and then news is something that we layer around it, right? News isn't the business uh, of CNET. Um, same thing for GameSpot, number one in video games ahead of IGN. Um, that's a great vertical for us. That's also been around for you know 20 to 25 years um, and is still number one after all this time. So mm-hmm. in that space, so when you go to E3, like people know it. So we've had to just be very focused, not just follow the crowd on, on brands like that and understand why they've been successful um, and weather the storm a bit because it's true. Like the attention went to some of those brands for a while. But we have a real business um, that we can – uh, that we operate and we think about it in terms of uh, the growth of the business that we operate, right? We're not selling these profitable. things. Very. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's yeah. different when you're operating a business that's not yeah. profitable. And by by its nature, VC-funded companies are not profitable. Otherwise, why would they be taking VC uh, money? Well, or to eventually go public. But if you're going to yeah. do that, you have to have a real business you know, underneath it. Yeah. I guess what I'm wondering is is whether we're seeing now the painful pivot to having real businesses um, "Quote unquote real businesses," meaning like actually reliably producing profits. Um, I'd say again, it's going to vary company to company based on how much funding they have. I mean, if you, again, if you think of Jim Bankoff is a pro, right? I've known yeah. Jim a long time. He's great at what he does. He he's running it like a real business, right? I mean, it's it's uh, you can't categorize these things generally that way. But um, but everything is going to have to either uh, sink or swim on its own or become part of something bigger. And that is an advantage that we have. So, you know, my normal shout out to, to our overall group, CBS Interactive is, you know, we're any given month, the sixth or seventh largest overall internet company in the US. But the way we get there is super unique. It's 25 plus brands mm-hmm. in all these different categories. And so there's strength in numbers that way, including the fact that we can ham and egg it sometimes to get a brand uh, through a period where it needs investment. Ham and egg it. Yeah, like, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, brands are doing really well can kind of provide some air cover for ones that need to go through a transition. Okay. And when you have them for this period of time, you can you can do that. And just in my seven plus years, we I've seen multiple times when a brand was a little bit of a turnaround for a period of time or needed to go through something, came out the other end, and now it's providing mm-hmm. air cover for something else. So. What's, what's an example of that? Well, I'll, I'll keep that one internal for our, our own, but uh, <laughs> but it, that's guarded. the part p- part of the portfolio approach that I think is helpful. Are you going to be acquisitive? We've been conservative on that front too. Um, again, not for a lack of thinking deeply about it. We have in in all cases. Um, you know, I think price points have been high generally, and then there's been times where we just don't need it, right? So. We already have the number one tech publication, and we'll layer things against it. Um, we, uh, you know, we didn't need to go buy something like BamTech because we've been operating our own video stack for ten plus years, mm-hmm. um, even all the way back to you know our friend Brian Badal sold col- uh, the College Sports Network to CBS. Part of that was College Sports Live. We were already streaming twenty thousand live uh, sporting events a year, and that you know that stack that led to the video stack across all access, streaming the Grammys. Um, you know, all the different uh, video, you know, our, our entire video platform. So, you know, we've been eyeballing everything. We, so we are, our, our acquisitions have been smaller, right? So it's 24 seven sports and scout media and the sporting space to get 
deeper into college and recruiting. Um, TV Guide back in 2013. That's how Christy Tanner got here. Mm-hmm. She's now the GM of of sports. I mean, of uh, of news. Um, so we continue to look, and if if the price is right, we will uh, go after. Prices it for might sure. be coming down in 2019. You never know. <laughs> All right, we're so, waiting. Uh, final thing is uh, one sort of resolution. I'm asking people as we're heading into the end of the year. This is not a personal resolution, but it's sort of for the overall industry. Give me a resolution for 2019. Um, well, look, I, I think the industry overall uh, does need to expand uh, its thinking on the 85 cents of every new dollar going to Google and Facebook. I came from the search industry. I know how great search advertising in is. It's great. Nobody was complaining about Ask Jeeves you know, taking all the money, though. We took a lot of money. It was a good business. You could have 5% of search and have a very, very good business. Um, but, uh, but it's bottom of the funnel. I mean, it's, it is intent capture. It is not intent creation. And I think this industry, and we're here, we're, we're downtown New York where all the, you know, agencies now are, you know, it, it, you know, I think everybody here needs to think about the broader picture of intent creation and what all these great publications, not just the ones we run, but others mm-hmm. um, and video sources are providing, which is creating brands, creating an intent to purchase. Things are up funnel from the intent capture that happens with direct response advertising, which is what Google and Facebook are really about. Um, so my resolution isn't just that we think about complaining about the fact that those dollars are going there, but people think about spending them you know, more smartly up the funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see these new brands, like with the, all the DTC brands, they're just dumping all of their their money into into uh, Google and Facebook, into mostly Facebook and Instagram, and they're just focusing on on growth. Right. Um, just I know. Drop maybe, shipping and and do yeah, it. yeah. Look, if you can, if you are like, lucky, if they're if the are, next we- wave of giant brands, that's a little concerning. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know. Uh, if you are lucky enough to be in a position where you can exhaust all of your inventory on direct response, you know, without creating a brand around it, then that's one thing. But for the vast majority of, of, uh, of brands, there's more to it than that. And, uh, and I just think the balanced breakfast approach is what the advertising community needs to think about. And, uh, instead of the easiest way, which is, you know, purely just dumping it into, you know, the, the, uh, the kind of, uh, thoughtless, um, direct response, you know, vehicles that are to me, should just be a part of that breakfast. Right. Ham and eggs, balanced breakfast. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Brian. And thank you all for listening. This show is produced by Aditi Sangal. Tell us what you think. Tweet at me or email me at bmrsc at digiday.com. Also, uh, please do take a minute and leave a review for us um, on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast that does help people um, discover it. And we would want people to discover it. So thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. One size doesn't fit all anymore. Start delivering a customized experience that exceeds your audience's expectations with Parsley's content personalization solution. The NBA's Minnesota Timberwolves are using this on their site, and they have seen an increase in fan engagement. They're seeing these results because they are adapting to their visitors' interests. Learn more at Parsley, that is P-A-R-S dot L-Y, and how you can use this kind of content personalization for yourself. Visit parse.ly slash personalization.